Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Scouts Podcast. Uh, today, I'm your host, Timochen, as always, and with me, we do have the regular crew. Uh, everybody looks so thrilled and happy after these last recent weeks. But Don't lie to the listeners, Timochen, come on. <laughs> let's introduce the crew. Uh, first off, we have uh, Mr. Peacock over here, uh, Mr. Paul Bickler. Paul, what's happening, man? Could be worse. Could it be, though? Uh, I guess we'll find out in a couple of days. Uh, we also have our Irish Jamie with us. Jamie, what's happening, man? Uh, no, it couldn't be worse, but I'm here. <laughs> and the man behind the glass with the buttons, Parker, is with us. What's happening? It's been a rough week. It will get. We'll turn the mood up over here and have a jolly old time, I'm sure. But let's start with the good stuff. Let's start with a quick, the weekly recap of Jamie, the Liverpool news in 60 seconds, and go. You say the good stuff, but we've lost six on the bounce at home. That's right, folks. Um, the Chelsea game, although, was the 15th centre-back partnership in the Premier League. Um, I know, I think we were up to 19 now in total. Anyway... But, um, yeah, so that's the fewest home points in England's top four divisions. The top four divisions, ladies and gentlemen. So, no, it really couldn't get much worse. Um, however, there is some good news. Uh, the Premier League is trying to shift the 36th and 37th league games back to ensure that all clubs can welcome 10,000 fans at their games, at their home games, obviously. Um, obviously, we've had some terrible news uh, in the week that's gone past. We've lost our saint, Ian St. John. Um, may rest in peace. Uh, he joined in 61, won us promotion, won the league of the year after that, won our first ever FA Cup against Leeds 2-1, um, obviously before my time, but a real uh, legend of the club. Um, and Speaking of legends of the club, King Kenny himself turned 70 there the other day. So all good news there, but uh, even better news on a year on from the COVID uh, pandemic, we've had the news coming from the club of the Reds COVID community response, and they've been absolutely fantastic. They've had 15 tons of food collected, uh, which fed local people. They've had 52,000 fresh meals prepared, cooked and delivered for local people. They've had 69 local schools support it. 800 virtual fitness sessions delivered, 7,000 people created online grassroots sports programs, you know, just fantastic work all around. So it's not all doom and gloom. There you go. There's some positivity over there. Uh, well, Parker, let's jump to you and you can get us going with the trivia. Maybe we'll get our brains going for a little bit for a split second here. Yeah. For uh, this week's trivia fact, um, we're going to be talking more on the Chelsea match. And the question with Chelsea is how many times have Chelsea lost Premier League matches against us? Ooh. This so is in Premier the Premier League, League right? yeah, in the Premier League era, how many times have Chelsea lost to us? Well, you know where we're going, Mr. Bickler. <laughs> you get the first dibs <laughs> out of everyone. <laughs> yeah, just get it right, Paul, and then spoil the fun for everybody else. That's what you I didn't want. I didn't want to go first this week. Is this price like is this prices right rules or like the closest with that going over? <laughs> it should be. I right, let's go with that. Yeah. No, it it's it's golf rules. So if you win last week, you get to go first next hole. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh okay. Let me do some quick math. This is some quick maths here. I will go 32. 32? What what what's your thinking on that? Dude, I don't know. I'm just fucking guessing. <laughs> I didn't know. I was. I didn't realize we had to think too. I thought we were just. Oh no! You thought you you put in some thought through. So I was thinking, oh, you know, maybe he was averaging out like how many seasons we'd had no, or something yeah, like I, that. Like it was a rough average of seasons in one a year. I mean, okay. on average, who I did basically. Yeah, what Paul says, he's thinking it's all an act. He looks like he's thinking, but he just, I just. Yeah. It's like I rarely, little, I rarely think. You can just ask him. <laughs> so Jamie, what do you have? Higher or lower than 32 seems to be the, the name of the game here. Um, yeah. How many have Chelsea lost? Or sorry, how many have Chelsea won? Against no, how us? many have Chelsea lost? Against us in the Premier League. I'm going to say I'll double Paul's. I'll go 64. Really? Yeah. 
Oh, well, I mean, are, I, are, I, we I talking, mean, are we talking top flight or just Premier no, League? No, just Premier, Premier League era. Oh, well, then it's definitely not 64, is it? That's why I was like, that made my job really easy. I'm taking under on that. Um, yeah, let's let's go 38. Why not? 38? Okay. I'll go 28. 28? So let me just uh, write down everything, just to double check with you guys. So we had how many, Paul? 32? Yeah, whatever's closest to the right answer. <laughs> don't know if that's how it works okay 38 uh jamie yep yep yep, yep. and 28 Timuchin. yep all righty let's well, see who got it right yeah we'll reveal this uh hopefully it'll be hopefully you can't google as fast as this podcast goes but so i don't even know if you want to go through the chelsea game all these games are blending into each other at this point anyway uh so i kind of wanted to kind of like go over I guess like both games, but focusing mainly all the probably on the Fulham game because uh, I thought there was a lot more talking points on that one um, in terms uh-huh. of, and I think it will kind of relate to the Chelsea game as well. But Jamie, let, let's start with you uh, on this. I mean, after this week of, I mean, after you know, like we had the podcast last week, uh, there was a sense of positivity, you know, maybe like they're kind of getting out of the funk kind of thing, and that did not be, end up being the case. So now that we sit here, like, what is the main overall feeling you have? Is it anger? Is it frustration? Is it just numbness? What is it? I mean, look, we all know all the issues we've been through. Like, so there, there, there is no one thing that pisses me off the most. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a older fan. I've been around since you know the mid '90s. So. I'm I'm used to uh, dealing with taking it on the chin and and getting grief from my my mates who are you know even Newcastle fans are piping up you know <laughs> even they're giving me shit now um, so I'm well used to being able to take the the shit and and deal with the everything that comes with it but um, it hurts when you see the players not giving a shit or appearing to not put an effort in. And, you know, I, I try and stay away from social media as much as I can, just because whether it's highs or lows, it just seems to be rather toxic right now. Um, and to be honest, I'm, I'm done with all that sort of shit. You know, I don't need any help being at, at being depressed. I'm fucking Irish for fuck's sake. I could, I could sort that self out on my own. Um, However, uh, it does hurt when you see the players out there not really giving a shit. Um, for instance, when Mane got the ball, put it at his head. I imagine Jordan Henderson or Stevie G being there. You know, they'd be right down Kovacic's throat. It would be all hands to the to the all hands on deck type thing. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's one thing to to sort of sit back and accept our fate, so to speak. It's another to think that, you know, those guys are out there getting paid for it. And I feel like I would do just as well of a job and I'm 35 and tore my ACL a few years back and got a bad back and all the rest. So I, I don't know. I did. All the stick online and all the stick from your friends is a given, you know, that that's to be expected. You know, we would be dishing it out if it was us and we have been in that position. Let's just remind ourselves. But it does hurt a little bit when you kind of assume that the players aren't given their all, even though they're tanked, even though they're, you know, worked way too hard. We've been relying on a core for way too long. You know, like I said, there's, there's no one thing, but I guess if I was put a gun to my head, I'd like to see a bit more effort, but totally understandable, you know? Yeah. I mean, I agree, obviously probably like a combination of all those feelings. I Like going back to, and like focusing on the Fulham game alone, I thought, I mean, so Paul, you wake up. I mean, I almost like contemplated going back to bed when I saw the lineup. I was like, apparently we have given up. Maybe I should too kind of thing. What did you think when you saw that lineup? I think when we talked, we kind of expected some kind of a rotation, but it was just, what was your thought? Uh, I was mainly conflicted. I mean, I guess I was, I don't, I'm conflicted. I mean, because like 
we're going to sit here and we're going to talk about like, you know, how many of us want all of our eggs in the champions league basket, you know, and, and a lot of us think that top four is gone. A lot of us think that we should be all in on trying to get top four still. So I'm conflicted because like you do, you all, you are almost forced, forced to pick. Right. Um, but man, I, I've been in a dark spot this week because I I'm stuck with this situation where I can't shake the feeling when I look at that lineup card and I look at how we line up tactically, I almost feel like Jurgen's trying to make a point and like, I, I have always supported our ownership and thought that we had fairly good ownership. And, you know, even though they have a reputation as being tight because they're yanks and all that, I, I like, sometimes I wonder, man, I wonder if there's been a disagreement be, behind closed doors this season between Klopp and club brass, especially when I look at a 12 game match run where we've seen the exact same thing happen Every single game, Sheffield being the exception where I think we tactically lined up differently. But I mean, for the most part, we're looking at a 12 match run where we've done the same exact thing with the exact same result. And it either forces me to choose whether Klopp's a system manager and he's not smart enough to tactically adjust or whether there's some sort of disagreement and it's within Klopp's character to sacrifice results to make a point, which I don't know if he's that petty or not. So like I'm in this, I don't know, man. And I'm a, obviously I overthink things, and I'm just sitting here slowly dying this week. See, you know, there's I, that whole thing that comes to mind about the uh, definition of insanity when you're talking about that. See, my thing is, I mean, that's an interesting point, like that you're talking about there, Paul. But if he was really trying to show off the ownership in terms of uh, obviously not acting fast, first of all, getting a center back and stuff like that. Wouldn't the ultimate punishment be just trotting out like recent, you know, Phillips out there every single game instead of trying to, you know, put like fab over their hand over there, almost like trying to make it work. I mean, I, I get, I get Paul's point, but I find it very hard to believe that Klopp's essentially throwing games just to prove a point that we are needing extra players like we are needing extra players don't get me wrong but you know i do think that he had one eye on midweek you're definitely not wrong there but you know he he's definitely in a hard spot right now whether as you know he said you know we're obviously not winning the league um newsflash folks um but yeah i don't think he can give up on top four but i honestly don't think like he's he's trying to prove a point i don't like you, you questioned yourself. I don't think he's that petty. I think he maybe has a, a, an eye on um, midweek and also the fact that, you know, it's difficult to impose a new strategy and a new formation when there's no real time. There's been no preseason. We know that. Like it, it, uh, four or five days off, even this international break isn't enough time to like go through a whole new strategy, a whole new ethos and, and maybe that's the case maybe there's just not enough time to make that big of a tactical change because like i don't know why else you would trot out a high line with your two slowest most inexperienced center backs that are available like i it just doesn't make any sense to me but they, the, they, that's like, the sorry paul that's the same system that they they play in the reserves like that's the, the system that Klopp plays is the system that all the teams liverpool play you know, so they know that system. They're just not the best at executing them, maybe. <laughs> See, the problem I have with that is if this is the system and, you know, we always, you know, like one of the, uh, you know, the famous sayings, next man up, you know, like next to giving 110% and nobody believed in us, but except ourselves, next man up is a popular saying. And they kept saying it as well. If it's next man up, shouldn't it be the next center back man up? Because uh, you could tell in this game, and I knew Fab was going to come in. Maybe he was not ready to give the full 90, and he's obviously being safe for the Champions League. Uh, but you could kind of tell, and that's probably like aggravated me the most, I think, and made me think of the Chelsea game. The moment he came in, a lot of the balls he intercepts in midfield turns the instant counterattacks. And 
we were missing that. We did not have that. If, you know, if it's next man up and these guys are, you know, that was the whole thing, right? Like the youth team played the same way. You know, these guys practice. That's why we moved, blah, blah, blah. Then why not play these guys in their natural positions instead of shifting everything? Let's suffer with our back line, but not make it half-ass. And then now you made midfield half-ass, which automatically hurts attack. So then I go back to my theoretical plop disagreement with the club brass, right? If there was a disagreement between where the team was behind closed doors and Klopp said, these guys are not ready to play in this system yet. We need help and we didn't get it quick enough. What if his next best man up was Fabinho, was Henderson, and that's why he was plugging him in. And then he knew that we were going to lose the war in midfield. You know what I mean? Like what if that was the what would, what if that was the greater message? Okay, well I'm gonna play my nest my my best center back. Guess what? My best center back isn't a center back. So it's just the theoretical. Like I mean, yeah, obviously, absolutely. Obviously, part of my job is riding around in a car all day. Right, but I mean, like to think that uh, a top quality manager would you know, he's only out there to play one game and that's to win points and, and win each game for Liverpool. You know, his job is essentially on the line. I dare say, like everybody says, you know, even Gary fucking Neville today has come out and said that Klopp's basically unfireable for the next four or five years. That's a hint for any listeners out there who are saying like, oh, it's time to get rid of Klopp. If Gary Neville's a better Liverpool fan than you, it's time to fucking hang up your boots, lads, all right? <laughs> fucking lay off Klopp, you know what I'm saying? Um, but for, honestly, right? I think if Klopp was to do those sorts of games with the with the higher upper brass, I dare say he probably would be fired. You know what I mean? Because you you can't, even though he is who he is, and he he has yeah, I don't know, he has man. carte I don't he, know. he has carte blanche and he has final editors cut. I don't think you're going to have a, a disagreement with the, you know, it's not the, it's not the owners and and the the Americans' job to run the club. It's Klopp's team you know so i, I want to qualify that theory as not something that i'm entirely behind and believe right. i feel like i feel like roy Keane on the outside michael owen on the inside when i say it it's a <laughs> it's a it's a real weird thing for me because like i feel like you know it's like this it's like me saying i believe saudi money is not going down because he's a solid i get the pen it feels dirty jesus christ it feels, yeah it feels dirty me saying it but you know it's just like it's one a of those niggling, things like, yeah yeah, I, I don't know, man. I just I don't. That's what, I just don't understand this insistent uh, uh, this insistence on playing the high line philosophy with parts that aren't don't work for that. Yeah, I think I just give it more to stubbornness than the conspiracy theory. I mean, in some ways, uh, it could be a combination where, like, well, yeah, I mean, this is what I have done. That's what I'm going to do because I'm not going to change my system because we didn't get what we wanted to get or what we asked to get. I just still feel like it's just more stubbornness in terms of this is how we play next man up and stuff. I mean, the only thing, the only positive probably that came out of it, I don't know if it's a positive or not, but, you know, uh, all these people who were complaining about like, you know, like Bobby or, you know, like Mike doesn't look like he cares. Sal doesn't look like he cares. He's not passing. He's not falling, all that kind of crap. And they were like, you know, oh, put Shaq in. Why don't we have Keita in and stuff like that? Well, there you go. You got him in. And yep. I think we saw... I mean, let's do like a quick fire, like go through them, I guess. But like with Shaq, I mean, my personal opinion is you saw why why Shaq does not start and he's more built to come in in the 60th minute, 70th minute or whatever, bring some energy, you know, be people on the dribble, make a couple of through passes and stuff like that, uh, as opposed to start from the beginning, because this is what you get when he starts. That was always the thing leveled at Shaq. You know, he, he's... He was never big at tracking back. He's not great defensively. Um, you know, he's he's there essentially for the uh, the calf shots for the photo shoot at the start of the seasons for the new kits, right? Um, but I mean, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, I mean, what what do you want? You know, like, do you, if we sat back and defend it and hope for a nil nil, we'd still fucking concede. We wouldn't score. We know that much. You know, if, if we sat back and defend it, a nil nil draw you're damned then and you know high line you're damned again so i don't know players like Shaq and and nabby it was kind of good to see them in there and thrown in the mix um but yeah Shaq. not yeah a- i thought i thought um 
Shaq and Nico had really, really rough games. And I, I think I, I'm not going to put it all on Nico. I know he's been the popular one. The slam is like, like being the worst of the bunch. Um, I think he had a tough, he has a tough time because as a fullback, if you see your center back is wrong side of the offender of the offensive player, your job is to tuck in. And I think he saw that a lot. I think he saw Reese getting wrong side uh, of the defender and then tucking in. And then sh- there was no Shaq and there was no Milner to come over and really tuck in and defend like Henderson does consistently for Trent. So I think, I think he, he got a lot of flack maybe wrongly so because he wasn't protected and they picked on that side. Um, but I mean, he didn't really offer a whole lot going forward and, and he, it, you know, not as much defensively either. So um, Shaq just is what he is. You know, I agree with Timucci and I, I, he's good coming off the bench for 15, 20 minutes. It's kind of a spark plug. Um, he's not good enough defensively. And I think like for me, Shaq, like he always has, he has good vision and he makes some really good passes, but then he makes like a couple of like super boneheaded turnovers, like um, every, every like 10, 15 minutes um, that you just can't have. Um, I think Nabby had one of his better, I think he was one of the better performances, especially considering that he's, he's really just fresh pack. Um, and I think he was one of the few players that looked like they cre- could create something going through the middle, which is what we're trying to do now. Um, he faded over the second half, but like, I think he, he has a part to play. He could be an important player going forward this season for us and try to salvage some form. Um, the damned if you do, damned if you don't, I, I, I partially agree with that. For me, it's like, for me, it's just drop the high line, man. Our, our press, the reason we play a high line is because we have a press that plays the way it does. We press up front. It's kind of the Rafa, uh, it's kind of the Rafa blanket theory. You're, you're, you have a blanket, right? And it moves up and down the pitch depending on where your line, your back line is. And we start way up because of that press and our back line high up. I'm fine with dropping that back line um, because we're getting beat. Um, we don't have the recovery pace there. We don't have the diagonal long balls from Van Dyke anymore. And we don't have the coverage for fullback now that Henderson's gone. That kind of tucking in and, and protecting that right fullback position. All that's gone. I'm fine with dropping the high line. The legs on the press are gone anyway. We, we can't do it. We're not, we ha- and we haven't been doing it for probably three or four months now. I mean, we just cannot press the way that we're used to pressing. And that's just down to fatigue. I don't think they have it in them. So I'm fine losing that high press and dropping the back line back and going to a more traditional approach where maybe we start getting some more counterattacks going. Um, and, you know, if we have to start building through the middle, I think that's okay because the, what we're doing right now with this high line and trying to play through the middle is – when we get a ball back, Diago's tr- starting to play that, like try to play that ball through the middle, but it's starting too high up the pitch. So there's no space for Mane and Salah to create room behind. And it's really handcuffing Firmino, Firmino's ability to, to be involved in the link-up play. Uh, it's almost cut him out in a way. So I think a lot of the solutions lie in, in pushing that back line back and starting that sort of offense um, further back in a way, as weird as that sounds. So going back to uh... – Going back to like Nico, uh, so I think this is what maybe like the second or third time, and I don't want to put the blame on the kid. I, I agree with what you're saying. I think he was set up to fail, and Fulham saw that, and they just keep lobbing those long balls down, down that way and put him in the tough spot. Uh, a question I had like on our Discord channel uh, during the game, and this is obviously kind of assuming we keep uh, and sign Kabak for next year, which the discussion for another day. We talked about it briefly, like last week. Do you guys see, I mean, knowing Kabak can play right back, uh, Gomez can play right back, and then obviously you have Trent. Would, do you guys see the Nico experiment being over? Or like, would you just be like loaned or something like that? Knowing, like I say, now you have two other center backs that have the ability to play right back and has the pace for have the pace for it. I think uh, Joe and Quebec at right back probably isn't going to happen. Um, I think Nico is our long-term um, second right back. I mean, look, if, if, if Trent has been subpar at right back, of course, Nico's not going to be able to do it. You know, he's not just going to walk in and be brilliant. You know, um, like Paul was saying, right back is a, is a poison chalice right now. It's, it's not, you're not getting the 
the um, backup from midfield or your your other centre back because we're we're down. God, how many centre backs are we down now? Fucking five, um, four, three. Who knows? I can't remember. I've lost count. Um, but yeah, it's it's difficult for Nico to walk into the team. And and look, fair play to him. He was the only one that went out on social media after Fulham, especially after the grief that he he has gotten in the past from from Liverpool, so-called Liverpool fans um, abusing him on Twitter. Like, fair play to the kid. He He's uh, a young head on young shoulders. And look, he, he's not going to be an overnight sensation. Neither was Trent. Um, well, he was definitely a better player than Nico. But I think Nico's got a lot to learn still. Um, and it would be nice to see him stick it out. What do you think on that, Paul? I mean... It's not the ideal solution, but you can obviously have so many players in the squad. Yeah. Uh, that's a tough one. I, I can see both ways. My, my gut reaction, my gut, my gut instinct is that we'll sell him uh, and we'll probably sell him to uh, a lower to mid table Premier League team. Like, you know, I could see him, like, I could just see him going to a team like Bournemouth or something. Uh, and then I see us addressing it in the transfer market. Um, that's just my, like, that's just my gut. Um, but it, I could see him staying. I, I, you know, I'm not going to say he, I'm not going to say he's not good enough because he's so young. He's so young and, and he's done well in spots. Uh, my gut instinct is just, it's so rare for these kids to come up through the academy and stay with the team. It's so, so rare. Um, and that's that's why I lean towards the fact that we'll probably we'll probably sell them and, and address it in you know either bring somebody else up or my gut is we'll probably get um, somebody a little bit more stable uh, off the transfer market. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be one of those situations where you know like he's in the squad and then uh, if the it turns out, especially if we keep Kabak and stuff uh, that we end up maybe like loaning him to get him some experience because I agree I think the kid is a boatloads of talents and he's so young uh so he can really improve in a lot of those areas that because it's not like a physical thing it's more positioning and stuff which obviously he can learn with age but that was like a thought that just popped in my head during the game knowing like i've seen kabak play like right back for like the turkish national team and stuff like that uh it was kind of like an emergency basis but i know he's capable because he does have the pace i know people keep saying he's slow but the dude has pace uh and similar to gomez gomez has the pace but obviously they're not going to be both of those are not as attack-minded as this is when we have Trent over there. So. It's sort of similar to Flanagan, right? I mean, young, had a lot of talent. Um, I mean, I could see some comparisons there, obviously. But, uh, I, I just think it's highly unlikely he breaks through um, just based on how tough it is for those kids. So... Before we kind of like move on and do a recap, because I kind of wanted to look at the big picture looking forward, uh, what you guys think are like some of the things that we can do and stuff. But um, Chelsea game, real quick. Uh, the goal. I know like we discussed it. I, I saw a lot of discussions on the online. And I know, I think Paul and I, like, you know, we've talked about this uh, in the Facebook group and stuff like that. We put it more on like Fabinho not closing well enough and, you know, kind of like blamed it on... I know I wanted to see Fabinho play midfield exactly because of what we saw at the end of the Fulham game because he could have really helped stop the attacks. You, you see, you know, Conte on the other side winning all these balls and, like, you know, getting him back in the circulation. Uh, we could have had Fabinho do the same thing for us. Uh, but, Jamie, like, let me come to you. What did you think of that? Uh, I mean, like I say, to me, when it happened, I was like, this is why – we should not. We should have had a natural center back there, and Fabinho should play where he does because I don't think it's fair to him. I think the guy does very well for a player who's playing out of his position, uh, but not necessarily compared to other center backs. I know in the past everybody said, you know, oh, he's just as good as like a great center back and stuff, but that's when he was playing next to another center back. Uh, that's established, whether it was Gomez or like, you know, Van Dyke and stuff like that. So, Jamie, like, what did you think of that goal? I wanted to kind of like take, get your take on that. Well, I was going to say which goal, uh, which one, the Timo Werner one or the Mason Mount one? Um, tongue in cheek. Uh, Mount. Fir- fir- firmly tongue in cheek there. Sorry to mention 
Um, yeah, um, basically, right. So imagine your four cent, your four defenders, right? And imagine you are tied together, tethered together with an elastic band, right? When you feel one going to the right, you push out to the right with them. You know, it's it's a concerto. You know, you you kind of got to move in fluid motion together. Um, I kind of want to put the blame on Fabinho, just because he's he's um, you know he's the centre back right there. So, and look, we all know he's not uh, the 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 most experienced centre back. We know he's he's a square peg in a round hole right now. Um, has been doing a fantastic job. Not 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 a problem there. You know that's to be expected somewhat, but. Um, Going back to the concerto thing, like you know, obviously Mount is going to cut inside, right? You know that that's going to happen. And if he doesn't, Trent's there to to cut him out and put him, push him out to the the byline, push him out to the white lines. Uh, and and Fabinho is supposed to come in a little closer and get tighter and and sort of push that out, you know. So I I guess I'm kind of blaming Fabinho for that, but I mean, look, we're splitting hairs here. Mason Mount cuts inside. He's rapid. You know he's he's a great player, um, great talent, and you know just capitalizes and puts it in the bottom corner. I think that's been the frustrating thing, though, hasn't it? I mean, with these these games where you know we have not played well. I mean, not up to our standards. Uh, heck, well below the standards, I guess. Uh, but then you know we've kind of lost to some like really bullshit goals and situations. I mean, just look at the thing of the Fulham game. You know, we're saying, you know, you look at that lineup, you look at the, you know, center back pairing and, you know, it looked like a recipe for disaster, especially, you know, once we started and we were playing the high line, but then, you know, we get a goal. I mean, they did have chances, obviously, uh, by the way, we did as well. But it felt like, you know, again, we got, you know, we conceded out of like a bullshit goal. It's just that, is that just dumb luck or is that losing being contagious just like winning is? It's just one of them things when the fucking shit's hitting the fan, it, it's, it goes everywhere, doesn't it? <laughs> so. So before we, I, I guess, dissect that more, because I really wanted to get your guys take on, you know, what you guys personally focus on, because the internet and social media focuses on everything you know Owen is saying Mane is not falling for a penalty so Salah doesn't get goals and I mean that sounds stupid right we're like laughing as we talk about it but they're like people over there like promoting it like it's actually like a good theory it's just anyway so it's very mind-boggling stuff going on but I know Parker you have some scary numbers to put that misery even to bigger perspective so what do you have so as far as the um chelsea game we were really bad guys um just getting the tab pulled up back again right now um you know we had seven shots which at the start sounds really really good comparatively to how we did only one of them was on target you know, our pass accuracy was a lot lower. And then, you know, we had as, as per usual, a bunch of corners, but it, it really just all the stats put together really just screams toothless, you know, kind of like, a, you know, people joke that Chihuahua's all bark and no bite, you know, we play that high line, we play that, like we're playing really aggressive and then just absolutely nothing comes of it, you know, and it's, it's just kind of shallow. It's kind of hollow, I guess would be another good way to describe it where we're just not doing things that are going to lead to goals. Um, as far as the match versus Fulham, we did better, you know, 16 shots on goal, three on target, a higher percentage of possession, more passes, more pass accuracy. But then we had more offsides. We had more yellow cards. We had more fouls. So Jada's volley was lovely, wasn't it? Yeah, that was something, man. And you know, and that's one of those things. But I feel like you know, everybody's like, oh, whichever goalie plays against us has these crazy games. And I guess it's partially true, but to me, it's more like, I mean, you you heard those numbers there. 
if you're putting only one shot on goal uh, in like the Chelsea game and then three on the other one, that goalie is not doing that much work either. Are, are, no. I mean, let's, let's assume a really bad save percentage of, let's say, 60%. If you're taking one shot on goal, you only have a 40% chance of winning any given game or of scoring any given game. But then there, there is the other ones where they they absolutely play out of their skin like that Carl with a K fucking Darlow for Newcastle played, oh, out, yeah. of his, played yeah. out of his skin. Um, just one thing on the Michael Owen quote, you know, <laughs> this, this is the same fella that is said, if there's rain about, it makes the surface a bit wet. Yeah, no shit, Michael. I love these players with two feet. That's another great one of his. And, oh, it's a game of two halves, like that old cliche. He says shit like this all the time. Whichever team scores more usually wins. Thanks, Michael. You know, like, this is a guy, God love him, a great striker. But nobody said you have to be smart to be a striker. You put the ball in the net and shut the fuck up, Michael, all right? You know, on on the BT Sport, he's there trying to... There's a clip where he's showing... And he's showing what Sadio Mane should have done, where Mane misses the ball on a volley. And it's ridiculous. Like, Michael Owens in a studio on, like, a glass floor with dress shoes on, trying to tell the viewers how to volley a ball. Like, Michael, take a back seat, mate. Yeah, my thing is, it's just, to me, it's, like, wildly irresponsible to even bandy that about when you're ambassador for the club. Is he, though? Yes. <laughs> do you consider Owen really like an ambassador of the club? Yeah, no, like, I personally don't anymore. I don't know. I mean, obviously, the United States automatically kind of taints it, but I don't see him as I don't no, know, like, I think of different names like Rush. He or literally somebody, was. You know. He literally was, though. Like that's that was his. That's his title. He's like he's still titled as a club ambassador for Liverpool, which I don't like. He shouldn't be, but like if you if you know you have that title, like I don't I don't understand why. Like, what business you have even putting that out there? And, you know, I realize it's media. Um, I mean, we had the same thing here. And I would actually say probably it's even worse. Uh, you know, you watch these shows. I mean, it's the same crap in Turkey. It's the same crap in England. Whatever there is media, it's a bunch of shows, people yelling at each other. And somehow, I'm assuming they're getting better ratings. The more obnoxious it is, the more over the top it is. I assume the better the ratings are because these guys keep doing it. Whereas, I mean, you can even tell that with like some sites, you know, online, you know, you go to more shallow sites that kind of like throw a lot of like fuzz news out there and they get probably more clicks than ones that actually put long thought out stats and facts supported articles because let's face it, people don't want to like don't want to read that much anyway, especially like when it comes to like numbers and stats and stuff. It's a lot more flashy to say, you know what? That's a great conspiracy theory and drama, and just like just like run with it. I was just more amazed at how many fans actually ran with it and took it as like a legit theory. It's it's shocking because, like I said, Michael Owen is literally known for his poor takes, like. Those some of those are just just the tip of the iceberg that he comes out with. Like he is literally dull. He's duller than a butter knife. But you know, I was I was listening to uh, Bill Burr, some Bill Burr uh, video earlier on, and I love Bill Burr, who is a Liverpool fan, by the way. But I think he was talking about NFL, and he's talking about like, you know, I don't want to hear your journalist's opinion. You know, you went to school for journalism. These guys went to 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 school essentially for you know NFL or, or football, whatever you want to call it but michael owen even though he is an ex-player he even though he should know <laughs> a little more it's been decades since he played the game um his opinion isn't that highly rated you know and it, it is shocking that fans ran with it and was like oh well i've got a devious idea oh, well shut up michael you know what i mean i think that's when the ex-player becomes media yeah. He's not an ex-player anymore. He's a media guy that's trying to, you know, drive ratings or more people watching or whatever. Uh, so he's basically kind of like sold out to that concept because that, that was the thing, you know, like I kind of like went back and forth with somebody. So I tried that after the Chelsea game. I usually like you, Jamie, kind of avoid the uh like facebook social media because i don't want to see like all these like stupid comments and like you know Idiots crawling like, out just... of the woodwork and i was like you know what i today i'm gonna fight all the battles maybe it'll make me feel better 
And no, it, it doesn't. <laughs> it, it, it was during it, and then afterwards, uh, I was like, oh my god, there are too many morons to fight against. They uh, I just lost. In. <laughs> so like it was that was like the odd thing. The border. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I had, and that's probably why it's good that we record these almost a few days afterwards. Because yeah, I mean, I probably had like way too much anger. I know Paul wanted to record this thing uh, right there, right then, while he got me mad. But I was like, it would have been, it would have been, it would have been unbelievable. Yeah, it would have been an epic. Thing. It definitely would be explosive. That's for sure. But maybe uh, have so... that as like a uh, Patreon exclusive for us or something down the line. <laughs> So I definitely remember one where we don't own right after a game because I remember running home from the bar when the bars were still open. <laughs> I remember sprinting home. I was like, I gotta get to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of alcohol involved in those podcasts, but at least we were uh, happy drunks. Uh, you know, like we were like drunk with joy. Uh, this is more just angry drunk, probably. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. fury drunk. But in my wheelhouse. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, goes with Paul's like spirit animal. But uh, so uh, speaking of uh, Paul's spirit animal, uh, Parker, <laughs> give us the number. Is Paul right? Who's right on that trivia? All right. So just to recap, Paul said 32. Jamie said 38. Timuchin said 28. For how many wins uh, we have against Chelsea? Final number. None of you guys were right. All of you guys were over. Timuchin, you were the closest. We've beaten them 23 times. Oh! Jesus. Nice one. Well, do we count Jamie's guess of 64 or no? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we can. That just makes them more off. I'd love to know. Um, I wonder if we've even played them is. 64 times in the Premier League era. I, I would love to know what it is in uh, Top Flight. Let's see if I can find it real quick. So while Parker is digging into those, uh, let me ask you guys this. Obviously, looking ahead, I mean, now, before the Fulham game, I thought, especially seeing what happened prior to the Chelsea game, you know, everybody losing points. I mean, the year is all whacked for kind of like everybody. Um, so it looked like, hey, you know, this would be huge if we get the Chelsea win. We didn't get that one. And I felt, you know, still you see people losing points. I'm like, hey, you know, we can still – get there uh with a win with Fulham and like start things going uh, I know we hate doing this but the schedule is probably more favorable if you look at the standings not that we do well against teams on the bottom part of the table but uh would you guys consider let's start with you Jamie that the top four race is over or is it still like way too close I think you know like mathematically obviously it's not over but what is your gut feeling Honestly, at this point, it's like, do you even fucking care? I just want to beat Man United at Old Trafford and then fucking forget about it because then that'll be, they'll be the only team that haven't beat us. <laughs> um, I don't think the top four is over yet. I really don't. Um, it would take a miracle for us to pick up form overnight. Um, that's what I'm hoping for in this international break and Champions League here is a miracle, is a bit of a break, uh, is a bit of a, a respite. I think it's like, I, I can't remember how many days, excuse me, I can't remember when's our next game at Anfield, which that in itself could be a blessing in disguise. Look, what are we? We're 43 points now. So... We're, we're not a million miles off. We're seven points off Chelsea. So that can change overnight. It really can. Um, so I haven't given up hope. Um, but, you know, as, as likely as that is, <laughs> we're as likely to slip down the fucking league as well, you know. So, so it's one of them. It looks like according to Wikipedia, we've beat them 68 times. Oh, since I think the first match was like 1909 or something like that. Well, I, I that is what I was going for, but <laughs> yeah, nice touch. Sure. <laughs> good save, good save. So, talking about the international break, I, I mean, normally after a loss, you want to play right away, right? And you know, get that bad taste out of your mouth and stuff like that. But obviously, this is kind of a different scenario. 
it's not just a bad taste or one loss. It's just like chugging down some poison uh, over the last month and a half. So, Paul, would you consider that international break to be coming at a perfect time to be able to gain form? Because, I mean, mathematically, as well as what people above us are doing, not to mention they're playing each other, I feel like it's very doable if and only if we can go on a run. I mean, we got to get, they're not going to get negative points. So we got to be able to, you know, like get by wins back to back to back. Do you feel like the international break is coming at a good time or could it backfire even worse? Well, yeah, it's doable. Look, it's, there's 10 weeks left and there's basically an eight point gap. That's totally doable. I mean, it, it can definitely be done. Um, the form we're, we're in right now, it does it's not likely. We would have to, we would have to make, um, Obviously, we'd have to make some big changes, but any break is a good break. I mean, in terms of just resting players, like, yeah. So is it a good time? Anytime we can get a break is a good time. So, yeah, I mean, we've got, you know, any any anytime we can get rest for those guys, um, it allows us to put our best 11 that's available out there without having to worry necessarily about if they got legs or not. So, I mean, looking at the form, what needs to change? I know, you know, Paul, you talked about, you know, uh, getting rid of the high line and the formation and stuff. Does that even sound realistic in terms of what will happen? Well, listen, I mean, Chelsea did it. They played the exact same game plan that we had just with their line dropped and they crushed us, like in terms of just – they did exactly what we were trying to do, dump balls over the top. They just pulled their line back a little bit. So, of course, it's completely doable. Um, I mean, whether Klopp wants to do it or not, I, I, like, I'm, I'm completely dumbfounded with this. I do not know why Klopp can't see what the rest of us can see and have seen for about three months now. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Like, drop the high line, drop the press, put your class midfielders in midfield, like – you know, we don't have to have this high overlapping fullback thing. We can do it. It's, it's totally, it's totally doable. Um, but yeah, those are the tactical tweets that in my opinion, we have to do. Um, and they're going to have to find, I know that this has been our identity for three years. I, I get that, but I mean, he's just going to have to find a way to, to make it work with the things he's got right now. So what do you think, Jamie? I mean, do you expect bigger changes or are we just looking for, it kind of like almost like I want to say like luck uh, where we kind of like things roll our way instead of, you know, man and whiffing, he nails one in, or do you think we just keep doing the same craziness and repeating the same thing over and over? There's gotta be an element of luck that comes into it. Absolutely. Um, There has to be, you know, that's part of football. It's very much one of those things, you know, on any given Sunday type a deal um but uh yeah i don't think i don't think necessarily anything i don't know look i i have my opinions i'll say mine and i'll, I'll probably get mm-hmm. slated by somebody else i don't think anything drastic has to change um you know i just think it's one of those things where it it just will it it, it has to change you know it at a certain point in time, it can't continue because, you know, we, we didn't turn into a shit team overnight. We, you know, all the players are absolutely knackered, you know, they're, they're tired as hell. We've run the same seven or eight players into the ground. Um, I don't know. I, I, a certain amount of luck has to come into play. You know, I, I honestly feel like, the tide will change. And, and, you know, we all kind of said that it has to get better before it gets worse, you know? And, and so I don't know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, we're, we're all here for the long run and, and some of us are, are older generation have, have seen shitty times before. Obviously this is, you know, in the top four divisions of, of England, we are the worst performing club right now. And I can't wrap my head around that. That that there has to be something. It, it's not it's not from want of trying. And you know, sometimes I I, I do say that about the players. You know, uh, you know, you you're making other teams look better than you are. You know, it doesn't look like you're giving everything, but they're they're shattered. You know, so I don't know. It's crazy. It's a crazy crazy situation. 
And, you know, Klopp said it, like we're a team of extremes. We've got the extreme highs that we've all witnessed the past three and four years. And now look at this extreme situation. It can't go on like this forever. That's why I think it's not like totally tactical. And I definitely hear what Paul is saying, but I personally do not think we change any of those things. Just having seen it because... Heck, if we were going to change it, I would have thought it would have changed it last month or three weeks ago and five weeks ago and stuff. I I mean, it's one of those things that shows, like, the margins are very small. And then we had a team that was invincible. I mean, felt invincible. I mean, at any given point, they played like, you know, we're going to win this either freaking way. Like, even if they were down by one or, you know, like, in the 70th minute, 75th minute, they played like, we're going to freaking win this. Something's going to happen. We're eventually going to win this. And I feel like that has totally flipped where they almost play like some shit's going to happen. We're going to lose again. And it's like a lot of mental, but what can help is probably just play people in their, you know, natural positions, you know, moving Fabinho back. Um, I mean, we talk about running players into the ground, but we still had Robertson out there, for example, which I did not get. We're going to change the whole thing. And oddly, Robertson was the one screwing up the line every single time it felt like. <laughs> Anytime we, it was, the line was messed up, you would think it would be the young kids, but it was always like Robertson, I think almost trying to overcompensate for one of those, you know, one of those kids making a mistake, kind of like leaning back to you know, run back and sprint back and recover and stuff like that. But, and I, I guess Genie as well, you know, we kind of like, it's almost like uh, he's not going to resign. So let's get our money's worth and try to out there like nonstop, get him all the minutes. Um, I mean, yeah, I think it's first or give him all the minutes he can and say, all right, Genie, look, come on now, sign for us. <laughs> <laughs> and so before we like, kind of like wrap things up, um, one more question that I kind of wanted to ask you guys and get your guys take on it. Like I was reading today that, you know, FSG is like, you know, like being in the top four is not going to affect, you know, how much money they would provide club and stuff like that in the off season. Does that freaking mean that they were not going to give much anyway. So it doesn't matter for in the top four or, I mean, how big of an impact Paul do you think that would make, or there's no difference in terms of what will happen in the off season? Well, I think you can, I think you can look at it two ways. Um, so they've been shopping for minority investment for some time now. Whenever you shop for potential investors, you tend to pad your actual value. And if you're padding value, the best way to do that is to cut spending. Um, so that, you know, all your internal revenue and outside revenue coming in inflates your actual third-party valuation um, as a company when you sell on. So part of me wonders is the reason that we haven't been selling for, we haven't been necessarily buying in these windows without selling for the last three years is because we're trying to pad that evaluation to be more attractive to potential investors. Just an outside theory. So that's one thought. The other theory is that no matter what happens, FSG is in the business of handling sports portfolios. We are one business in a portfolio of many businesses that they own. It is in their best interest for their assorted portfolio to all be performing at peak value. So in that case, they would want to invest into this no matter what. Well, you know, whether we're top four or not, they're going to want to inject enough cash into it that, um, that we're continuing to operate at a high level from a success standpoint. There is no better valuation for Liverpool brand than to be winning and to be winning trophies. So it's really not in their best interest to not inject cash into it. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Now we have a business rep in the poll over too. But yeah, that definitely makes sense in terms of uh, what has been done before and looking forward. What is your gut feeling, Jamie? I mean, I guess my biggest concern more than what FSG would do uh, is probably partially what the players that are, you know, potentially would be incoming would think going to a team that might not be in Champions League. Right. And it's back, it's back to what Klopp said. You know, if you don't want to join, if you, if you can't envisage what, if you can't envision what, what Klopp's, look, if, if there's not a big enough um, draw to come and play for a Klopp side, then <clears throat> he doesn't want you anyway. You know, you're not, you're not good enough. You haven't got the mentality right there from the, from the get-go. So, 
I totally get what Paul's saying. Um, a little bit of investment would be nice, and obviously strengthening from a, a, a place of, of, of strength um, would have been nice this year. Obviously, we know everything with COVID and the reasons why we really didn't go out and get a, a marquee signing like an Allison or a Virgil or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think like other great teams have not been involved in the Champions League and, and gone back up the year after like it could could be another springboard for us so I, it would be nice if we got some depth uh we definitely could do with some of it so i i do think that they will um hopefully splash out a bit of money and whether or not you know i don't know it's difficult to say but it, they should <laughs> Yeah, they definitely should. Well, in one way we can be in Champions League and make that question obsolete is winning the Champions League uh, in case we don't make the four. So uh, let's touch on the game real quick. Um, we're two days away from it. Uh, by the time this podcast is done, we'll be like less than 24 hours probably away from it. Um, what do you guys predict? I mean, we did rest people, so I don't think that will be an excuse going forward. Uh, do we see the same thing again with Fabinho as a center back or do we go smart, put him in front of the line? Uh, what do you guys predict in terms of lineup and score? Paul, let's start with you. I predict that Fabinho will start at center back and I will once again be throwing things and yelling and telling all everybody on our Discord channel how <laughs> irritated I am. Um, and Megan will be telling me that we put experience in the back line. And I'll be yelling about the fact that I don't care about experience. Um, I think uh, I think we lose one one nil and we skate through. That's just my gut gut feeling. We should keep firing shots at Megan so that she will have to come on the podcast. Oh, I am. I'm going to continue to cheap shot her across the bow here until she has no choice but to come on and put me in my place. Which, to <laughs> yeah. be fair, is a pretty easy job. I mean, I don't know why you would want to do that. Yeah, for those listeners who don't know, Megan is one of our regular contributors uh, on American Scouser uh, via social media, uh, but we've been trying to get her to come on the podcast as well and work out the scheduling with the, that's her excuse at least. So we're trying to work things out so we can get her. Maybe if you keep taking shots at her, she will just come on to defend herself. So I keep saying that. Girl, yeah, solid girl, great social media presence. So we're just going to bombard her with messages until she finally gets on. So maybe we're just going to have to start introducing her and wait for her to finally show up. I I feel like I've set the bar incredibly low, you know, like so. Could it be lower? I mean... Let's face it, four of us, it couldn't be lower. So she's going to look good regardless when she comes in. I mean, he shows up without socks on, for Christ's sake. I mean, throwback to Kazi when Kazi used to do the, the podcast in, in his skivvies, in, in his, <laughs> lying down in his bedroom in his boxer shorts. I, d- I demand to go first on trivia. I Wait, come yeah. up with the devil. Quiet the diva over here. So You guys are wearing <laughs> we pants right now? <laughs> So, Jamie, what do you have for your lineup suggestion? Are you throwing stuff at the TV as well? And then when it's over, are we going to be happy, have a happier podcast next week or what? I'm quietly confident. We're 2-0 up. Put Fabinho in fucking midfield. Wait, you tell him. That way, Paul isn't having to defend himself against Megan or the Discord channel and and all of us. but no, I, for real, let's just fucking make it a, a thing. Can we please Istanbul 2021 for fuck's sake? Oh. Yeah, man. I mean, that's a good place in more ways than one, but definitely a good place for Liverpool. So, yeah. uh, Parker, what do you have, man? I think that it's going to be a lineup that's going to make me want to throw a brick through the TV again. And I, I still think we'll win one nothing. I think we'll be able to we'll be able to skirt through and not be worried about it after the fact, but I think we're going to see the lineup and we're going to be pretty pissed off. I say we probably, yeah, Fabinho will be a center back again. Uh, we'll have the, the Thiago Jones genie and then up front, like the regular three, but we, I say we do a two, two draw. Also, can we not do the thing where we sub Jones off and then immediately get scored on? <laughs> what is the we talked about this i think like a couple of podcasts ago what is the deal with him having to like it almost feels like he has to come off at seven yeah. he can't hey, John, you got, 90 you got, your, you got bad time you got to come off dude come on 
He's got a curfew. I'm going to hook him up with Milner so he improves his conditioning or what? But he's got a curfew. Maybe that's what <laughs> So, gentlemen, yeah, it has been a rough week. I mean, we started the week with uh, pretty much that, you know, Ian St. John thing. And, you know, we joke, but I'm not that freaking old to have watched him uh, play, except some highlights. Um, but obviously, I mean, he was huge. I listened to him many times, read a lot of stuff on him and stuff like that. I mean, huge, uh, you know, like a character in the history of the club. Uh, I know, Jamie, like you had a story on him, actually. So kind of like want to touch on that before we say our goodbyes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was a total character. He, he was a young boxer um, before he, he joined his hometown uh, team, Motherwell. But, uh, you know, one of the clips I dare say you've seen is the one where Virgil and Millie are there with him in Melwood. And they're showing a video of young Ian St. John playing for Liverpool. And there was a fight breaking out. And Ian St. John just throws two punches, throws a right hand and a left hand. The left hand doesn't connect because the right hand before it did and knocked him cold out on the ground. And Millie and Virgil are just watching it in complete shock and awe. Like, Ian St. John's a small guy, not, not much to him. And he just one shot, bang, that right hand connected. And you didn't even see it. It's in black and white. Trust me, you won't be you won't be uh, saddened to see it. It's a great little clip, um, but yes, I came across this great story, and he was a great storyteller because he has he had his own TV show in the eighties and nineties, um, which I was just sort of in the tail end of watching. You know, I'd stay up and, and anyway, so a great story from Ancient John, and this is about the nineteen sixty five final. So Brian Epstein, who is the manager of the Beatles came in and asked a Liverpool player, Peter Thompson, for four tickets to the final, the FA Cup final, and he wanted them for the Beatles. So Tomo says, right, well, fucking Shankly's in charge of that. I'm going to have to go and ask Shanks. So Brian Epstein says, yeah, no bother. You go ask Shanks. So Tomo, and this is what, you know, they trained at Melwood, they ate at Melwood, everything, everything's happening at Melwood. And so Tomo goes into Shanks' office and he says, sheepishly, you know, knocks on the door. He's talking to the big man. He says, Shanks, uh, and he, he says, come on in, Tomo. He says, um, is there any chance we could get four tickets for the final for the Beatles? And Shanks stands up from his table. He says, come with me, son. And they just walk out of the room, right? They cut across the corridors, up the tunnel, and out onto the pitch. And they're looking out at the spy on cop. And he says, you see that, son? He goes, yep, that's the cop. He goes, yep, yes, boss, I see that. He says, that's 24,000 week in, week out. He said, yeah. He said, I've never seen Ringo there once. <laughs> <laughs> so the Beatles didn't get tickets to the 1965 final. And look, if that just doesn't tell you everything, what it means to have fans back at the stadium, I, that, that story just, great story, great guy, uh, absolute club stalwart a legend of the club like literally got us promoted won us our first fa cup like i said at the start of the hour but anyway may rest in peace and and uh, a lovely man and a lovely club and it, it just seems to be a crazy time this year where we've we've lost too many of these types of people you know yeah and yeah that's why i mean it has been a rough week overall with all kinds of like news and results and stuff like that and yeah that is a great point i think some of the things we see where i know it is probably fatigue i really don't think it's lack of care uh because these guys are kind of like too professional but the margins are so thin i know like everybody's like well you know what changed then and stuff like that i think margins are too thin a player with confidence i mean these guys are all you know, they're playing against another Premier League team. I realize it's Fulham, but everybody in Fulham is pretty much on their own national team and stuff too. You're not playing against like a, like a third division team who can't play. So they're like fine margins, that confidence and every, like the energy makes a huge difference. And if we had the fans, I think some of this, it would help the confidence for one and it would definitely help the energy levels for two. So we're definitely missing that. And I know we talked about in the beginning of the season that we would probably be one of the clubs that will be hurt the most by it. Uh, but yeah, just add that to the bunch of other reasons. Uh, that's why things have gone soft this season. But two days from now, 
will start the Champions League, maybe get number seven and kind of salvage something out of the season. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for joining me as always. Uh, and thanks to all those who are listening. Uh, check out the websites. Uh, we got some exciting stuff coming up. Actually, uh, during the international break, uh, we want to run one of our uh, giveaways again. So stay tuned there. Check out Paul Bickler's ratings, uh, Barack's uh, corner quick taken, and my great what to watch uh, suggestions. Who <laughs> I have to admit, I did warn everybody to tune into the Dortmund game instead. Uh, and I actually followed my own freaking advice <laughs> and gave up on the Premier League and watched the Dortmund Bayern game. And yeah, what a game that was! Be fair, uh, that was a great match. And one thing I thought of is, man, if we're gonna be, if we're gonna face a team like this in the Champions League, we get our get our shit straight because yeah, they both looked mighty good. But it was a fun one. So I will try to suggest some international games from now on too, because. Yeah, I had to even let go off of myself. So, well, thanks again all for listening. Thank you, gentlemen, and see you guys next week.